Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. I've said this more than once on this show, but it remains true of all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest of these. You had to be there. By which I mean that someone's made a film that rests on an audience supposed enthusiasm that simply isn't there. We didn't get it, or we just weren't interested. This isn't to say we can't be won over. After all, enthusiasm is contagious, and a good filmmaker could pass it on. Case in point, probably still the most successful franchise of them all. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark time. Before the Empire. George Lucas's first Star Wars, before it started taking itself so seriously, was clearly inspired by the cheesy movie serials of his youth. But he didn't assume we were already hanging out to see the clunky adventures of Flash Gordon again. He used them as a starting point and then built something better. Gordon? Gordon? Professor Gordon's son? Yeah, that's right. And that rocket ship makes you Dr. Zarkov. Yes. Your father sent you here to stop me. Stop you for what? My friend, the Earth is doomed to destruction. The key ingredient of Star Wars were pretty universal after all. Evil empires and valiant rebels, hooded villains and comedy robots, a youthful hero, a brave but dim-witted friend and a plucky princess. You need me to draw you a road map? The continuing story of our band of heroes, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2 and Chewbacca. The one thing that George Lucas added and that put him up there with other American greats like P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney was a serious budget. George threw millions at it, mostly at the best special effects available, the sort of effects usually given to highbrow sci-fi like 2001 A Space Odyssey. A small one-man fighter should be able to penetrate the outer defence. And a big budget meant suddenly a kid staff space opera was important. As important as Flash Gordon had been to a ten-year-old George Lucas. Mission accomplished. Don't underestimate the force. But too many filmmakers don't even realise there's a mission to be accomplished, which is why the cinematic landscape is littered with the whited bones of films that failed to convince their audiences they mattered. Films about sports, for instance. Football is a beautiful game, Austin. It needs to be played beautifully. Football films do as badly in America as baseball films do, well, anywhere else. 
Well, this week offers three films, all apparently dependent on audiences sharing the filmmaker's enthusiasm. In the case of Polite Society, these seem to be very specific ones. Most big sisters are crap, but mine's pretty great. She's a sick artist, helps me with the vids for my channel. You're dope, you're awesome. And all my training. <laughs> Writer-director Nina Manzur's tastes include out-rock, extreme sports and Bollywood movies. She made a TV series about an all-girl, all-Muslim punk group called We Are Lady Parts, which should give you an idea. Polite Society is about a girl who dreams of being a movie stuntwoman. Ria, do you think your father sends you to that school for you to be a stuntwoman? Yes, I am the Fury. Uh, no. Well, good luck with that, is all I can say. Another film aimed at an audience that I can best describe as Not Me has the cryptic title 80 for Brady. It's not a gender reveal, it's just a reveal. Of what? We won the tickets! We're going to a Super Well, the title may be cryptic, but the premise couldn't be simpler. Four elderly football fans try and get to the Super Bowl. And the selling point of 80 for Brady is that they're all played by legacy movie stars. Lily Tomlin, Wayne State University, Rita Moreno, PS132, Sally Field, Birmingham High School, Jane Fonda, college dropout. Jane Fonda, Sally Fields, Lily Tomlin and Rita Moreno. Clearly taking a belated tip from all those English movies starring Dame Judy, Dame Helen and Dame Maggie. The American studios have finally discovered the golden age dollar. But can they sell us NFL football? Gronk. Hi. So big. Thank you. Isn't that what friendship is? That we face the unknown together? Let's go, Golden Girls. Come with me. There was one movie this week whose enthusiasm I already shared. American novelist Raymond Chandler literally wrote the book when it came to elevating the private eye to high literature. His most famous character was called Philip Marlowe. Sometimes I wonder what strange fate brought me out of the storm to that house that stood alone in the shadows. As I probed into its mysteries, every clue told me a different story. But each had the same ending. Murder. Fans of film noir tend to identify Marlowe with Humphrey Bogart, though the classic Big Sleep was the only time Bogie played Chandler's tough, honourable private detective. But he set the scene for other great Marlowe's like Robert Mitchum and Dick Powell. I didn't see what hit me. I didn't have to. The first thing I knew, I found myself heaped on a bed like a bag of bones ready for the scrap heap. My throat was dry. My hands felt like a bunch of bananas. I couldn't stand on my pen. What made Marlowe Marlowe was something specific. Chandler's writing was unique, tough, gritty, violent and sarcastic, steeped in liquor and firmly set in 40s Los Angeles. But you need all those elements and without them a film called Marlowe is going to struggle. Mr. Marlowe? Yeah. She will see you now. Thank you. Mr. Marlowe. Scavengers. The new Marlowe certainly looks like it could deliver to even the most dyed-in-the-wool Raymond Chandler fan. World-weary Liam Neeson seems a good fit for Bogart's shoes with 
fellow Irishman director Neil Jordan stepping up to replace noir master Howard Hawks. Los Angeles, a city of angels. More like the city of dirty little secrets. People pay me to look into the activities of its finest citizens. I'm a private detective. The name is Philip Marlowe. So there's Private Eye Philip Marlowe set to head off down Chandler's famous mean streets. All he needs is a client, preferably a dame, and generally in this sort of film, a blonde. A blonde like Claire Cavendish, played by Diane Kruger. How private are your investigations, Mr. Marlowe? What can I do for you? I'd like you to find my lover. He disappeared without saying goodbye. Did he have things to hide? Haven't we all? Claire Cavendish is what you'd expect. Beautiful, brittle and not remotely trustworthy. In fact, it's a given in a Marlowe film that everyone, apart from Marlowe, is lying through her or his teeth. Claire asks our hero to find a missing boyfriend called Nico Peterson. What does my daughter want? My mother was in pictures. She must think there's something between us. Marlowe visits the Cavendish home where he meets Claire's mother, former film star Dorothy Quinn Cannon, played by former film star Jessica Lang. She flirts with Marlowe and drops hints that all may not be what it seems with the missing Nico. For a start, isn't he dead? Well, of course, that's an important thing when you're looking for a missing gigolo. Half the people Marlowe meets say he's dead, the other half say he isn't. There's a mystery here, and like all Raymond Chandler plots, the mystery will soon get so tangled up it may never untangle. I hear that you are looking for someone. We're all looking for someone. I'll pay you a thousand if you find him for me. The puzzle has many pieces. I don't know what you're going to find. Chandler's trick when that happened was to simply write a scene where a guy comes in with a gun or where Marlowe gets hit over the head and wakes up tied up. All of which happens here, along with stock noir ingredients like shady club owners, suspicious cops and plenty of women complicating matters. My, my. You're not a regular. Well, not yet anyway. We do like to keep it exclusive. Yeah, it seems that way. And yet, while the Chandler elements seem to be in place, there's something not quite kosher about this Marlowe. Well, that's because it's not actually based on a real Raymond Chandler Philip Marlowe book. After Chandler died, a whole lot of lesser authorised works by other writers came out, including one called The Black-Eyed Blonde, written by Irish novelist John Banville, and here adapted by Boston writer William Monaghan. Down the rabbit hole. I'm not afraid to take you with me. I do like this thing about not being afraid. We well, should be. Now, this shouldn't matter. Banville's a Booker Prize winner, while Monaghan picked up an Oscar for The Departed. But there's a reason Chandler's called inimitable, and much as I love many of Neil Jordan's films, he's not quite the man for the job either. Marlowe certainly looks lovely, all sun-kissed mansions and immaculate suits, but it looks like Spain, where it was shot, rather than CD 1939 L.A. Well, then, I'm not sure if it's an M or an E. With an X, if she works here. There you go. 
Robes in the cabinet and no monkey business. I'll try not to. And the actors don't seem very L.A. either, and that's because they're from everywhere but. Diane Kruger is German, Liam's Irish, as is Colmini as the main cop. Most of the others are English if they're not Spanish or French. In fact, the one genuine American, Jessica Lange, is meant to be playing an Irish actress. The key to Hollywood is knowing when your game is up. You go in there, I'm coming out alive. I have to ask myself, who wins, Mr. Marlowe? I will do everything to put you in jail. The story itself sort of hangs together about as well as the real thing, but the treatment is sluggish and the dialogue, unforgivably, is lame and barely Chandler light. But my biggest complaint is the character of Marlowe himself, which presumably was the sole reason this film got greenlit in the first place. That all these talented writers could turn Chandler's famous complete common man into just another Liam Neeson elderly thug proves that duplicating a favourite writer is harder than it looks. They're all in on the conspiracy. You'll keep looking because you can't stop. The police won't touch you, but I will. Of all the people in Los Angeles who you do not mess with, they're top of the list. The fact is the bar for a decent modern film noir has been set so high by its predecessors. Disappointment is virtually built into most attempts. And sadly, the only good things about this Marlowe were its good intentions. Be all of our secrets, Mr. Marlowe. And your secrets? You'll have to keep those too. Polite Society is a British teen comedy aimed at young Asian women who love teen comedies and full-on action movies, but wish they weren't so white. So writer-director Nita Manzur stepped up to the plate. I'm Rhea Khan. I am going to be a stunt woman. My sister Lena is the only person who believes in me. Want to help me with a vid for my channel? Nita Manzur, of course, stands on the shoulders of giants. Gorinda Chada of Bend It Like Beckham fame. Mira Nair, who made Monsoon Wedding. And TV writer Mira Sile, who made Anita and Me. But they were a previous generation of teen comedy writers, more inspired by Jane Austen and Thackeray than by Bruce Lee. That's certainly not Nita Manzur. She helps me with all my training. You are going to be such a great stumbler. That was dope, though. Nita is millennial UK punk rock. Following her rock and roll TV comedy We Are Lady Parts, this is her first feature, the story of two sisters with vague but intensely held dreams. Lena wants to be an artist, sort of, though she prefers to go out partying with her equally unemployed mates. God's whisper to the warrior, you will not withstand the fury. The warrior whispers back... I am the Fury. Younger sister Rhea worships her, though, and has her own dream, to be a stunt woman. Her sister thinks this is a perfectly cool ambition and shoots videos of Rhea practising. It's all good, it's all good. Get up, shake it off. Why can't I get it? You're fine. Yeah. All right. OK. Yeah, you got this, you're amazing, you're sick, you're dope, you're awesome. 
cut. Now, I have no idea whether Rhea's line, I am the Fury, is an actual quote from an actual kung fu movie, but it doesn't matter. What matters is the two Khan sisters won't stop until they fulfil their dreams. Or at least, that was the original idea. But lately, she's been seeing this guy, who I think is a bit of a smarmy wanker. You know, it's a truck. Oh my God, Rhea, chill out. Now, I'm not being dramatic. <laughs> But these people are evil. Rhea is shocked when Lena starts dating a smug, middle-class doctor called Salim. Shocked or jealous, wonders Lena. But when Rhea meets Salim's slightly scary mother, all her rather vague doubts seem to be confirmed. I found something. I've got my eye on you. They are not taking her away without a fight. The story reaches its first act climax when Lena, now wearing highly respectable clothes to Rhea's disgust, announces to her delighted parents that she and the wealthy Salim are engaged. This clearly means war. She's not doing her art. She's wearing cardigans. Rock effing bottom. We need to find some dirt on Salim and get my sister back. Down with the patriarchy. Let's Rhea and her two besties plot and plan all sorts of hilarious methods to extricate Lena. The question is, is it all in her head? Is Salim totally harmless and, in fact, a perfect fit for the new, improved Lena? As if. What sort of movie would that make? Mischief is a foot. Lena's not going anywhere, you little bitch. Rude. Instead, the film suddenly takes a turn for a sort of spoof Mission Impossible with clumsier stunts. Rhea keeps coming up with a new plot. She and her friends carry it out with disastrous consequences and Salim's evil mum gloats. We're not so different, you and I. I'm nothing like you. I... But unlike Mission Impossible, there are endless parties, Bollywood-style dancing and singing, some dazzling colourful outfits and banquets. There are also plenty of teen jokes about condoms, periods and bikini waxing. Did I say it was all a bit punk rock? I will strike down you or anyone else who tries to get in my way. How about the bikini area? (laughs) Let's dance. The best thing about polite society is the star performance. Priya Kansara, who plays Rhea, is on screen most of the time, acting, joking, singing, dancing, fighting, falling over, and generally owning the film. Her scenes with Ritu Arya as Lena are delightful. Lena, what's going on? See us alone. You've not even been seeing this guy for a month, and you're marrying him. Fatma, how are the girls? I'm not going to let you throw your life away. Polite Society cleaned up at the recent Sundance Festival, surprisingly for such a British comedy. It suggests there's an untapped audience for movies, particularly comedies, featuring young women of colour right now. It's loud, glossy and very silly. And maybe that's the point. A film about sisters, not politics. What? Never more crazy! You're calling me crazy! 
Did you see my kick? Of course I bloodied it. It was magical. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I drew blood. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Walking into a routine-looking American comedy called 80 for Brady with four octogenarian stars led by Jane Fonda, I have to say my feet dragged a bit. Apart from being an obvious Golden Girls rip-off, it seemed to require me to do some homework. Who's Tom Brady for a start? For that matter, who's Ron Gronkowski? Game's about to start. There's Tom. Oh, Oh, what a beautiful man. I like Gronkowski. We know, Chris. We've all read your Gronk erotica. It's not erotica. It's fan fiction. Very sexy fan fiction. Well, obviously, they're NFL football players, stars of the New England Patriots, no less. And our four stars play big fans. Lou, Trish, Betty and Maura wonder if it's beyond them to go to the famous Super Bowl where the Pats are playing. Starring Tom Brady. Did I mention that? Aren't you tired of the same old boring lives? Let's go to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is no place for four old women. This could be Tom's last one. He's almost 40. That's like 80 in people years. Yeah, we're 80 in people years. I just really need this trip. Well, luckily, that turned out to be pretty much all the American football I needed to know. Instead, I could concentrate on the four stars who were all in suspiciously good nick, particularly Jane Fonda, who's an astonishing 86 years old. Lily Tomlin playing the prime mover for the Super Bowl road trip is 84. Sally Field is a mere 77. What's going on? If you're acting very strange, Lou. Just keep your eyes shut. Lou, I've got to get home before dinner. It's craps night. You got your own house, Maura. Why are you still living in a retirement centre? Frank clapped it very much. Oldest and yet oddly the youngest looking one is singer, dancer, actor and the one EGOT winner in the cast, Rita Moreno, who's 92. But we're not here for statistics. We're here to take off to Houston, where the Patriots are taking on whoever the other team is. And right away, there is an issue over the tickets. So you don't have any tickets? How much for four? 10,000. 10,000? Well, I have a 20 in my strap-on. That's a fanny pack. If you wear it like this, it's a strap-on. Wow. According to the demands of the plot, the tickets get lost and found throughout the movie. Everyone gets into scrapes, singly or together, which means everyone gets their time to shine. The script came courtesy of the team behind the aptly named Book Smart, and 80 for Brady is equally sure-footed. We could even win these tickets. This is a spicy wings contest. Bring the pay! I could use a little spice. I know her! You black out, who you want me to call? An ambulance? Sally plays Betty, sick of doing all the work while her professor husband takes all the credit. Rita plays recently widowed Maura, who then retired to a rest home. Jane Fonda is the still frisky single girl with a cupboard full of blonde wigs. We're going to the Super Bowl to enjoy men the way the Romans did. Sweaty, tight pants. And Lily Tomlin plays the woman who got her friends so enthusiastic about football. They all started watching the Patriots on TV while Lou was recovering from illness. Well, that's rather more characterisation than I was expecting for a by-the-numbers, four-best-friends comedy. I was pleasantly surprised they put that much work into 80 for Brady. Let's go! Oh, my God, that's Tom Brady!
Our heroines have an eventful weekend in Texas, showing the young folk that these sisters are more than capable of doing it for themselves. And even when the storyline roped in celebs I'd never heard of, like Billy Porter and Guy Fieri, it's easy enough to go with it. These are good. Very good. Oh, careful, they're high dosage. High dosage? Excuse me, I'm looking for someone. Are you okay? I'm Guy Fieri. There are even a few in 80 for Brady for me. Look, there's actor Bob Balaban effortlessly stealing his two scenes. There's comedian Patton Oswalt playing poker with Rita Moreno. And who's that flirting with Jane Fonda? It is so great to meet you. Beauty has no expiration date. Chris, I didn't flirt. He did. There's so much here to do. It's Harry Hamlin who started an 80s TV show called L.A. Law and then popped up again in Mad Men. Adding a bit of class as Rita Marino's possible future date, there's another Broadway star, Glyn Terman. What is this movie reminding me of? Shakespeare? Yeah, it's clear. Let's go, let's go. Oh, it couldn't be more formulaic, and we know the climax will involve all our four heroines coming out on top, with Tom Brady doing something in the nick of time. But there's nothing wrong with a formula if it works, of course. And this one goes right back to the Beatles' first movie, A Hard Day's Night. Ow! If you did this to give us something to remember, why, honey, it worked. Do you think you could get us in? Follow me. These are my dancers. Prove it. What dance moves you ladies know? A twist. A jerk? Let's do it. Hooray! Four people breaking out, celebrities everywhere you look, disaster averted, and all getting together for the big finish. As I say, 80 for Brady wasn't the film I had any hopes for at all this week, and yet it proved to be far more entertaining than I expected. Speaking as not a fan of at least half the stars, the film's sheer exuberance and professionalism won me over despite my lack of initial enthusiasm. And in that triumph of age over experience, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.